We are in our third of three weeks in the shortest letter of the New Testament. That is, of course, Jude. And so last week we heard Jude's warning to to the church back then and to us about false teachers in their midst. And today we actually come to the climax of the, the, the book of Jude, the letter that Jude writes. And the climax is telling us how you deal with false teaching in your midst. And Jude's answer is pretty simple. He says, keep yourself in the Lord. And so I was really thinking of that answer and I, I, that's not the answer I would have had if I were Jude, you know? And it's a good thing I'm not writing books of the Bible because Jude's answer is better than mine would have been. I would have had some sort of... Uh, systematic way to attack the false teaching or maybe had a you know a three to six week sermon series on this false teaching if I were Jude I would just said hey at the bottom let these let let these people know that I'm I'm Jude I'm Jesus's brother I'm telling you that this is not what should be taught and but in Jude's wisdom filled with the Holy Spirit that's not what he says he says that the secret to weathering all kinds of of false teachings is stay in the Lord. Stay kept in the Lord, keep in the Lord. And so it, it makes sense. I mean, if you're talking about false teaching, it's essentially don't stray to the false teaching, stay where you are, stay in the Lord. So really in addressing false teaching, Jude's giving us an even bigger message than just how to address false teaching. He's telling us how we stay in the Lord, how we persevere in this faith. And it just caused me to kind of slow down and think, like, I don't think anybody's really doing well right now. <laughs> I don't know that any of us have really grappled with the effects of COVID on our, on our bodies and our souls and our emotion. I don't know one pastor who would say they're thriving right now. And one of the great privileges of being a pastor is that people confide in me. And it doesn't mean that I get to hear all the juicy gossip. That's not what I want. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm saying people will open their souls to me in a way that maybe they wouldn't with most people or even the people who are closest to them. And I'm thankful for that, but I, I feel like I have enough data to say that Christians aren't doing well right now. I think Christians are tired. Uh, I see a lot of Christians who are doubting their faith, which makes it super relevant that we're talking about this in Jude. And I think there are a lot of reasons that, that Christians are tired and that Christians are doubting their faith. Um, I mean, I, I think it includes these, these massive uh, and spectacularly horrible falls of Christian leaders. I, I think that's just about to speed up once as we really come out of COVID and see how poorly everybody's really doing. Uh, I, I think that's partly due to some very well-known deconversion stories that have happened. I, I think it is in part due to this, the polarization of our society, the uncertainty of where things are going, and then of course just all the, the fracturing that's going on in evangelicalism and the effects of COVID that, that, are, that are more numerous than I could probably even really adequately name. So I say this because it's pertinent. Jude is writing ultimately to contend for our faith. That's the name of the series, Contending for Our Faith. So Jude, in saying this, it hits us at a very helpful, I think, and appropriate time to look at what Jude says about staying in the Lord. Paul tells us in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, that we're not to be uh, like a piece of driftwood, just going, driftwood, going all to and fro as uh, with the waves uh, of the ocean, but we're to be like these big rocks that the waves of the world crash against and they are unchanged and they are unmoved and that's what Jude is addressing. He's telling us how what Paul is saying can be true. And so in this last part of the letter, he's simply saying, stay in the Lord and then he tells us our role 
in staying in the Lord. He tells us God's role in staying in the Lord. And then he tells us how we can help others to stay in the Lord. So that's how we're going to walk through this. So first, our role in keeping the faith. Our role in staying in the Lord. If you were with us last week, or if you just know Jude really well, there's a reason I think that we... You don't find a lot of sermons taught on Jude is because upon first reading, it feels like he's just throwing a whole lot at you. It can feel like he's vomiting information and ideas and thoughts all, all into like a really small, basically one chapter letter. And the more I look at it, I think maybe I should have taken 12 weeks on Jude instead of three because so, there's so much in here. But the plan was three. We're going to stick with three. But Jude says, when he says that we have a role in staying in the Lord, he gives us four things, four ways that we contribute to our keeping the faith. The first, he says, build yourselves up in the holy faith. So what does that mean? I think it could mean a lot, but I think at the very least in Jude's context, he's saying, build yourself in the knowledge of the word and put it in your heart, hide it in your heart. So be committed to God's word in your knowledge and your heart. And scripture is very clear that scripture is important. <laughs> you, probably everybody's heard the phrase, seeing is believing. And, and people have had, especially in my years overseas and in college ministry, I would have people say things like, if I could see Jesus, then I would believe. You know, if Jesus is God, he can show up and, and then I'd believe. And I actually know people that that is how they were converted. That's not how God worked with me. Uh, it's not how God normally works. And I hear people say, well, if I lived back then and I saw the resurrected Jesus, I would believe. But until I see that, I'm just not going to believe. Well, it's interesting to look at Peter because Peter did see all that stuff. He, he saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw Jesus' miracles. He even saw Jesus at the transfiguration. And you know what Peter's conclusion after seeing all that was? It wasn't, I saw Jesus, so I believe in Jesus. He said, we have the scripture more confirmed now. He's going back to the scriptures and saying, it's all the more trustworthy now. We can understand it more clearly now. And he said, you would do well to pay attention to scripture like a lamp in a dark place. Timothy says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul, to the Romans, writes, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Psalm 19 says that scripture revives our soul, it makes us wise, it enlightens our eyes, it rejoices our heart, it endures forever. Peter says that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness in the scriptures. Paul tells us again, it is breathed out by God. I could go on to other places, but the point is scripture is clear, that scripture is important. Scripture is our guide to God and ultimately our guide home. But that doesn't happen if A, we're not in scripture and don't learn it, and it doesn't happen B, if scripture just stays in our head and it never gets to our heart. That kind of makes us insufferable, prideful Bible knowers, but not really Jesus followers. And so this is one of the reasons that when, when, when I teach, we walk through books of the Bible. And so, you know, it, it 
forces me to teach on passages that I don't really know well ahead of time. It forces me to teach on passages that people-pleasing Jim is not going to come and teach. And so that both of those boxes were checked last week in the middle of Jude. It's a very confusing part, and the message isn't something that's just going to make everybody happy. But we do that. We walk through chunks of the Bible because we think it's important that everybody hears all parts of Scripture. This is why we have equipping hour. If you were here earlier and you heard Robert Jackson talking about equipping hour, that's a time when you can just go deeper than you're going to hear me go in a sermon. It's a time where you can interact more. You can ask questions. You can, you can process with each other. We think it's important to have this because we're not just looking to produce people who know a lot of Bible. We're not just looking for people that can win the Bible quiz trivias. We're looking for people who understand scripture. It goes from the mind down the heart and then they are connected in a real way deeper with God. They're connected in a real way deeper with God's people and they're sent out in a real way to go be fruitful in the mission that we're called to be on. So if we want to stay in the Lord, a devotion to scripture, Jude says, is going to be essential. Second thing Jude says is pray in the spirit. So I have a friend I was talking to this week and he gave me permission to say this. His marriage is failing. And I said, what can I do for you, brother? Is there anything I can do? And he said, like, from the, you could tell a deep part of his soul, pray in the spirit. And you know, when somebody, when somebody just says, pray for me, I mean, I, I do, I really try to pray for everybody, but it's different when somebody says, pray in the spirit. Like that, that, in that moment, I go from feeling somewhat helpless to feeling like, okay, I've got a role here that I can really pl play. I can pray in the spirit and that, it's going to do something. It can do something. And Paul says a similar thing when he, t when he writes to the Ephesians. In Ephesians six eighteen, he says, praying at all times in the spirit. So it isn't like there's JV praying and then varsity praying in the spirit. <laughs> There are two types of praying, but it's not varsity and JV. There's praying on our own strength and then praying in the spirit. Those are the two types of prayers. So when we pray on our own strength, it's like rolling a stone up a hill. I mean, we're leading this thing. We're, we're doing things to hopefully make our prayers more, more effective. We might, you know, kind of dip into our prayer voice. We don't, we don't ever talk like this, but when we pray, our voice gets high. We, you know, we do all these weird things. Like God hears us better in that voice. Or, or we create some sort of formula. If we do this formula, God hears us more clearly. And then that prayer goes from praying in the spirit to like a Harry Potter spell or something. Which speaking of, um, Angela's birthday was in late February and her, the one thing she wanted was to go to Harry Potter land. And she's never been to Universal Studios and we made that happen this week. Just us, no kids, it was really fun. And, and so we were in Harry Potter land and there's this, there are these active wands if you've been there. And if you go to a certain place and, and you point the wand to a certain spot and you make a certain motion at a certain speed in a certain way and say certain words, something happens. You know, it might... It might pause the water or it might, uh, fireworks might go off. And we would do this and when we started it was really frustrating because you would do it like 15 times and nothing would happen until you could get the right perfect formula down. And I was doing that, I was thinking, I'm scared to think of how many Christians look at prayer this way. If we can do the right thing, if we can pray the right amount of time, if we can conjure up enough emotion, use the right voice, get in the right position, knees, you know, laying down, do it early in the morning because we know God listens really clearly in the morning. He gets tired later on in the day. If we do these kinds of things, then 
God is going to listen. That's pushing this, this stone up a hill. That's praying in our own strength. But prayer in the Spirit is when we are pulled along by the Spirit in our prayer. When the Spirit is guiding what we're doing, when we are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are regularly, routinely, daily, hourly confessing our sin, turning from our sin, going to Jesus over and over and over. That's when we're filled with the Spirit and that's when we're praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's knowing at every moment, hearing Jesus' words, you can do nothing apart of me, apart from me. You know, for me in the beginning of my my Christian walk and even ministry, I would hear those voices, you can do that voice, there's only one voice of Jesus, that voice, you can do nothing apart from me. And, and the way I would practically internalize it is, I can do a whole lot outside of Jesus, just not miracles and healing. That, that's when I need Jesus. But the longer I go, the bigger that nothing is. Like, I now hear Jesus say, you can do nothing apart from me, and it includes being patient with the people I love the most, and it includes prayer. You can do nothing apart from Jesus and his Holy Spirit because that's the way that prayer is meant to go. And when we realize this and we step into it, then really unexpected things begin to happen in our prayer life. We begin to feel these prompts to pray for people we hadn't even thought to pray for. We begin to feel these prompts to pray for big things we've never thought to pray for before because the Spirit is calling you into something that he's already doing. And that's what Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, to ignore these prompts, that's squelching in the Holy Spirit. Lean in to those prompts, pray for those prompts, see what the Spirit would do, and you're more and more called and experiencing the mission that God has for the Christian. I had a buddy I went to college with, and years after college, for no reason, he just popped in my mind. And I just, it was really, not just on my mind, but on my heart. And I felt one of these prompts, and I prayed for him, and I texted him, and I said, hey man, I feel like it's God just puts you on my mind and just seeing how everything is. And I had no idea that he had just entered into the biggest crisis of faith he had ever been in. But that was one of those prompts that God had put on my heart to, to let me know what his spirit is doing. And so when, we, when we're praying in the spirit, we start to think of different things to pray for. We start to think of different people to pray for. These are things that we know are not, we're not coming up with these things on our own. And when we're praying in the Holy Spirit, we don't just think of new things to pray for and think of huge things to ask God for. We pray for them. We want to pray. We get to pray. We're, we're fervently seeking God for these things that are increasingly important to us for some unexplained supernatural reason. Paul in Romans 8 actually says that there are times in our weakness and our despair and our hurt that we're not even going to know what to pray for. And you know what the Spirit does in that moment? He prays for us. This is Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Praying in Spirit is led by the Spirit in every possible way. And this is why every revival that I've ever studied is preceded by this huge movement of God's people praying. And it's not, I mean, there's, there's a subtle difference here, but it's not like the churches are banding together and saying, we know the formula for revival. If we all do this, then God's Spirit does this. What happens is this organic, unexplainable, like, hearts breaking for the lost and wanting to beg God to do something supernatural. 
That's spirit-led prayer. That's not pushing a stone up a hill. It's like riding a bike down a hill. It's being pulled and led by the spirit in every way. So the question is, which kind of prayer are we praying? Are, are we praying in our own strength or are we praying in the spirit? Because Jude is saying, if you want to be protected from false te- teaching as a church and if you, if you want to stay in the Lord, this kind of praying in the spirit is essential. And then third, Jude says in verse 21, keep yourself in the love of God. So h- how do you keep yourself in the love of God? That sounds like something God should be doing. And there is a role for God, but there's a call on us to keep ourselves in the love of God. And I think what at at the core, what's going on is Jude is trying to help us to see that we are, God is leading us with a carrot, not a stick. You know, our, our primary reason for following God, it isn't that we are scared of hell. And that's a real thing, but that's not primary. The primary motivation that God gives for people to follow him is an overflowing of joy and love that that produces works. And some, you know, some people would look at, at the grace of God as it's presented in scripture and say, well, that sounds antithetical to actually working hard. Because if, if God's grace is so big, why would you work hard? And it made me think of my very first uh, job in high school. I, I worked out at a hotel uh, near Disney. And I don't, I don't know if the process has changed or any, but the way they, they maximize production is they would keep track of your hours. So you had this, this thing you would clock in when you got there, clock out, and they monitor your hours and they monitor your weeks. And you got a certain number of weeks off, and that was that standard. It's still standard in most of the world. But about a decade ago, um, Netflix kind of threw a bomb into the production world when they came out with a new policy, unlimited vacation. Which sounds crazy. First, it sounds crazy. Unlimited vacation. That's antithetical to production. <laughs> but the results were so astounding in the way that it actually uh, produced more that huge companies like LinkedIn and then, um, and then even local companies like Power DMS have gone to this unlimited vacation because the results are there. And actually, in some cases, people are taking less vacation and they've had to incentivize vacation, like giving bonuses at the end of the year if you'll hit a certain vacation minimum because they know that the best ideas come from people who have been refreshed and they're not working on their margins. They're actually giving their best. So in the same way, we thought that... that Unlimited vacation is antithetical to production. So people say that the love and grace of God, understanding he's not leading you with a stick, he's leading you with a carrot, is antithetical to really living in obedience and fruit. That's not the case. It's when we really are basking in the love of God that we want to honor him with our lives, that we want to submit to the authority of scripture, and that we want to live for him. It's the difference between being led by carrot and being led by a stick. And we have to know that if we are going to stay in the Lord. And then lastly, Jude says, wait for Jesus. This is verse, the second half of verse 21. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to an eternal life. So I think what what Jude is really wanting us to see is eschatology has an impact on our ethic. So eschatology is a way, a theological term means end of times. What we really believe is, is waiting for us at the end of time is going to affect what we do on the here and now and is going to make patience actually easier. And so when I think about this, I think about uh, uh, a friend who is, uh, 
I, I, a friend who is doing something costly right now because it's right. And then that made me think of 1 Kings 18. You may remember evil King Ahab and, uh, and Elijah. Elijah prayed for a drought to come upon the land to cause King Ahab to repent. And so the drought came. Uh, King Ahab had kind of heard what Elijah was doing. King Ahab called Elijah in and he looks at him and he says, is it you, you troubler of Israel? Is this your fault? To which Elijah responds, I have not troubled Israel. It is you and your father's house who have done that. Elijah had an understanding of the eschaton, the end of time that changed what he did here and now. He wasn't worried about the consequences of doing what is right and standing for God because he knew that this life is but a blip on the radar of eternity. So those are the four things Jesus says is our role in keeping the faith and staying in the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. It's not all on us. Then he tells us God's role in keeping us in the faith. So we see at the very end of Jude, we're jumping from the beginning to the end and then we'll hit the middle. At the end, Jude has this great doxology. And so doxologies and benedictions get mixed up a little bit. At the end of the service, I give a benediction, which is a good word to God's people. A doxology is a word about God to God. It it could even be to people, but it's about God. It's directed God word. So this is Jude's doxology at the end of his letter. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his Lord with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So who is it that's keeping us from stumbling? Who is it that's going to present us pure and blameless at the end of time? Who is it that's going to eternally secure this joy in our heart? Jude says, it is the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. God initiates this faith and God perseveres this faith. God continues this faith. And this isn't some random line we see in this, let's say, largely ignored letter in the New Testament. This is a theme all throughout Scripture. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, no one will snatch you out of my hand. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus' death on the cross sanctifies everyone who believes forever. So there's a mystery here that we're to embrace. I mean, at the same time, we have, we, there's a few mysteries in Christianity, but The mystery is that God is really sovereign over our staying in the faith and that we have a real active role in staying in the faith. And they can seem to contradict each other, but they don't. Imagine the phrase that I think is helpful is God has ordainedly, God has sovereignly ordained that you would have an active role in keeping your faith. So these concepts, they don't, they don't work against each other. They're not antithetical to each other. They actually work in tandem very well. So, so when we understand God's role, that he's never gonna, gonna leave us or forsake us, he's gonna continue what he start, starts, that 
makes us want to give our lives to these things like praying in the spirit and understanding scripture and looking for instruction and everything else that Jude and the rest of scripture tells us, we don't feel like we have to do. It's not a burdensome thing. We want to do these things now. And the more that we lean into our role and do these things, we are, we are in the center of where God has designed that we will thrive. We call that obedience. And then we get to experience this loving, gracious relationship with God and it just sinks into the center of our soul and it becomes like this warm blanket to our soul and we thrive. And it just goes, one side works in tandem with the other and it just keeps going. This is the way that God has designed that we would be conformed into the image of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so every other worldview I mean, if you think about it, every other worldview that has any acknowledgement of sin, they might call it different things, any, any acknowledgement of our flawed nature is going to be different than the God of Christianity because every other worldview looks at God like a credit card. You know, we have this massive debt and now it's up to, up to us to, to work off that debt in some way. And I don't know if you've ever been in a little bit of credit card trouble, I have, it's a miserable feeling and it's only all the more miserable when we're dealing with God in that way. And so you can see people, e- even professing Christians who have this view of we have a debt to be paid and they look at everything they do in the Christian life as a way of paying off that debt. Believe, you know, reading the Bible, praying certain prayers, going to church, it's just a way of working off that debt which holds you in bondage and steals all the joy of the Christian life. And then you have other people on the other side who just want to stick their heads in the sand and kind of ignore it and just, you know, tell yourself, well, if I do more, than good, more good than bad, things will end up okay, which is absolutely impossible to ever figure out what, like, what that looks like. Or they might just say, hey, in general, good people go to heaven and bad people don't. And of course, like the, the bar is really low at like Saddam Hussein or something. Like, the, I mean, the, the, we, we, we just have to put this really low bar to make us feel better about that. But all we're doing is putting our head in the sand in that credit card mode, but we're imagining that it doesn't exist, hoping it magically goes away, ignoring the fact that one day there will be a day of reckoning. But the God of the Bible, he does something very different. The God of the Bible says, in Jesus Christ, your debt has been fully paid. And now you're given a debit account with limitless righteousness from which you can draw. And he doesn't say earn it, he says enjoy it. And enjoying that overflows in good works and obedience and submission to him. So... We see how this, what seems antithetical, what seems contradictory, actually works, works for each other. It works in tandem. So in the same way that, that unlimited, unlimited vacation seemed to limit production, it fueled it. In the same way that, that unearned grace and mercy and love from God, it doesn't cause us to want to abuse that grace. It calls us to enjoy that grace and that joy overflows in obedience. That's God's role in keeping us saved. And then when we understand our role in staying in the Lord and God's role in staying in the Lord, Jude tells us right in the middle of these these few verses that we have a special stewardship to help other people stay in the Lord. And so there are three groups of people. I mean, this is Jude. It's like four things here, two things here, three things here. But three 
people in the church, that, in Jude's church and our church, that he's saying watch out for, that, that saying like, help them stay in the Lord. You have the doubting, the duped, and the too far gone. I stole those three terms from Ligon Duncan. But we see this doubting group in verse 22. Jude says, be merciful to the doubting. So the doubting people are struggling with these false teachings. They're beginning to give in maybe or entertain these false teachings in their lives. And they, uh, they, they look like they could go either way. We're not really sure. And Jude doesn't say be harsh to them. Jude doesn't say be mean to them. He doesn't say look down on them. He says be merciful to them. Show them the mercy that they're looking for. Be, be, be responsible and uh, be thoughtful in the way that you interact with these people. You know, be, be careful in what you say. Be clear in the questions that you ask. Be careful even the timings of these conversations because they're, they're ultimately looking for mercy and because you have the mercy of Jesus Christ, you, you can be that vehicle. And then he talks about the duped. So these are people that are now embracing this false teaching. They have fully embraced it, but it doesn't, it, but it seems like there's still hope. And Jude says, snatch them from the fire. So even in that, in that verbiage, snatch them, it communicates hope. This can still happen. And so there's seriousness and there's urgency. And so the message to us is if we, we have people in our midst who are beginning to let go or deny the divinity of Jesus, snatch that person back from the fire. And if there are people in our midst creating an a la carte version of Jesus made in our own image so that we can follow our misguided desires, snatch that person from that fire. If we're around people, especially in the church, who are letting go or denying the authority of scripture, snatch that person from the fire. And then lastly, after the duped, you have the too far gone. And of course, I've got to clarify that. We don't ever know where people are. No one's outside, as Matt said, of God's grace. But there is a group of people, they fully embrace this teaching. They have, and by the way, they fully embraced contrary teaching at the primary level. You know, we're not talking about disagreeing views on baptism and stuff like that. We're talking about the, the primary things. They've embraced this. They've been, they, they've tried to be corrected. They've not, they don't seem in any way interested in going back to the biblical biblical Christianity. And so what Jude says here is show mercy to them, but with fear. So we're still not to be harsh, not to be condescending, not to make fun of them, but we need to have with our mercy fear. Fear for what this, these people can do in a church and fear what's gonna happen in their souls. And my concern is that we're not always charitable to people in this way. And I love this quote from a pastor named Philip Ryken. He said, I have observed that some Christians are Calvinists when they deal with their own sin, but Arminians when it comes to dealing with the sin of others. Oh, they've learned that the only solution for their own depravity is God's grace, but they still expect others to save themselves. Certainly God holds sinner responsible, sinners responsible for their sin, but he also, reaches, he also reaches out to them in mercy. If you really understand the doctrine of God's sovereign mercy, you will not be judgmental or proud. You will become, become a messenger of God's mercy. So we have mercy for the too far gone, but we hold fear at the same time. So the problem that Jude wants to address is is false teaching and the problem beneath the problem is people staying in the Lord and his solution is essentially lean into the Lord walk with the Lord be in the power of his Holy Spirit and if you're here today and you're doubting you're tired 
you're confused by things going on in the church, you're confused by other views, you're compelled maybe by other views, I want you to know that God wants to show you mercy. He wants you to feel the mercy of Jesus Christ, that the credit the credit, credit card account has been paid. He doesn't want you to follow him in a way that, is, that robs you of all the joy of walking with him. He doesn't want you to see a God that leads by a stick and not a carrot. He wants you to see the true grace of Jesus Christ. And if you're feeling in, like in one of these seasons of doubt and tired, my goodness, I just wanna say at the end of this, same thing I said at the beginning, you are not alone. So many people are feeling that way, that way right now. But we will get through it. And if you have people around you who are feeling that way, then you get to be one of these vessels that God sovereignly uses for his mercy. So love those who are doubting. Love those who are tired. Love those who are straying. Because that is what Jude is calling us to do. Let's pray. God, we come to you with grateful hearts that you do lead with a carrot, that you have paid the debt, that the righteousness you give us in Jesus is limitless. And so God, we ask that that would just sink to the core of our being. Where there is no joy, there would be joy. Where there's sorrow, there would be happiness. Where there's guilt, there would be whatever the opposite of guilt is. God, I... I'm so thankful that you love us this way, that you lead us this way, and I pray that we would be fruitful because of it. God, we love you and we pray this in the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of your perfect son, Jesus Christ. Amen.